And welcome back to 2024. This is Sean. You are listening to the Engineering Dads podcast. Yeah, back for another year. 2023 went uh, down like like a, a glass full of nails that was a shocking year yeah it, it was sucked it was very bland you know I like mean, an unsalted pasta yeah it's salt it's like salt uh, it's like pasta with pepper and being like ooh, too spicy like it just yeah it was a pretty average year i mean there were some great things happened to us but overall it's eh, it a it bit of a nothing i mean okay like what is something you reflect on that you learned in 2023 and what is something you're most proud of from that year what i'm most proud of I mean, I'll start with the proud of, I think getting some content over a million views of anything, I think was a huge one for us. We've never done that before. It's a massive yeah. milestone. I'll always remember, you'll always remember you first, you know? Yeah, um, oh, for sure, mate. Yeah, yeah, your first TikTok. Um, <laughs> something I learned is to be really patient that good things come to those who wait and just like going slow. Going slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Sometimes the best way to get to your objective is to take a step, reflect, and slowly step through it correctly. Yeah. And that's something I've really kind of like try to bring online of like make deliberate steps, make the least amount of work that I need to do to get the best job possible. And I found that great. What about you, man? What's like something you've learned, something that you're really proud of? Well, I'll backmark your patience thing because when I got a Tesla last year, when we both got Teslas, oh, yeah, we got Teslas last one year. of the things I had time to do while I was charging was learn to play chess in the Tesla cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what I've learned over the past year is chess is very similar to how you execute decisions in life. And I've learned something about myself is that I was not patient. I wanted mm. like to see results very quickly. And yep. that's what brought me into the 5% rule, which I actually learned off a book that you recommended, The Atomic mm. Habits. So not just being patient, but for me, doing things incrementally yeah. Um, and realizing that if you try and do something that I guess is too much out of your payload, too much out of your limit, yeah. then you're going to shut yourself down. But yeah. to be positive, something um, I guess I'm proud of um, is the fact that I, I've never been big on New Year's resolutions, but last year I was like, okay, I'm going to set them, but I'm going to make them very realistic because mm-hmm. I've never set realistic New Year's goals and I stuck to them. Like I can, I've never been able to look back and go, oh, I actually stuck to my goal from, from that year. And I did for once. And I'm like, okay, now I know how to set not New Year's goals, but the next set of goals in my life. Yeah. It doesn't have to be in 2025 or six. It just has to be, okay, I'm at a point where I can now exceed beyond what I'm currently doing. Mm. And that's, yeah, something I'm happy to take away into the new year. That's no, fantastic. I like that uh, that line. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. But nice and sentimental. What yep. we're here for is our first podcast of every year is the tech predictions of 2024. We've and done this, this is our third year in a row doing this now. And yeah. One of my favorite podcasts because it's a good start to the year. It's a good start to the year. It's a nice slow build. It sets up some... Um, uh, our kind of expectations going forward, if they're good or negative, or yep. um, uh, which direction they're going for. Let's again, but let's uh, let's see how close or wrong we were to yeah. last year's predictions. What have we got for last year's predictions here, Jimmy? All right, I'll start with let's let's go with all three of our predictions. We'll include Patty's, but we'll do them incrementally. So we'll do mine, then yours, then Patty's, and then go back to the start again, mm-hmm. Manu and Patty. And my first one, we touched on the previous podcast, was I predicted. Um, that the James Webb Space Telescope would find signs of intelligent life, which Ooh. you disagreed with, yep. and I was completely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but I did back it up at the end. I'm like, okay, I'm going to leave this prediction with at least some form of life. Mm. And you can listen to the last podcast when I really quickly went over this, but to be specific is what the JWST can do is measure the chemical composition in an atmosphere, mm. which is brilliant. And what it found was traces of um, a compound called DMS. On Earth, DMS can only be produced by algae, well, Mm. a process that involves algae, which suggests that the James Webb Space Telescope has the capability to find life on other planets, which um, I believe the planet was K21b. That was a pretty good feat with the the telescope. Do we know which system that was in? Absolutely no freaking idea. Oh, okay. There was like a, a talk of an Earth-like planet on the third orbit of Alpha Centauri recently. That could be the same one. Well, this, I think the planet you're referring to had a higher Earth index than Earth. Yeah. The one that's in Alpha Centauri. Yeah. I think it, did, it was discovered to have an atmosphere. And uh, I mean, the fact that Earth doesn't have a good 
livability <laughs> index is kind of funny to me. But I, I, I think there was something along those realms. I mean, it's, again, intelligence life is something that you can't really spot from a telescope, thinking about it now. Like, yeah. you can spot atmosphere and creation of life, but you won't be able to spot, like, someone building the pyramids. You I know? think you had, like, the very good analogy, man. Like, you were like, oh, what was the piece of string thing if... Uh, oh, is it the Earth ocean? Has existed for 4 billion years. Yeah. Uh, the ocean one was good, but it's existed for 4 billion years and intelligent life has been around for, let's call it 70,000 years. Yeah. So if you were to measure that on a piece of string, it would be so small yeah. that to line those two things up at the same time almost is statistically impossible. Yeah. Very, very, very unlikely. Let's like leave it, leave it as that. Yeah. And to think that within 70,000 years, we could go from uh, to walking on our back legs to walking around and suddenly a nuclear fire and exterminating an entire civilization. That would look like, if it was a four kilometer rope, it would look like a little uh, a mark of a, a red pen. Well, one That's of, what it would look like. One of four ways the world can end is that, unfortunately, the technology mm. gets so advanced that we just exploit it to the yeah. fact um, of self-destruction, which is very scary it is entirely possible and i feel like if we did it we're able to explore all the solar systems out in the world would probably find a handful that did the same thing that we yeah. forecast could happen which i don't think we hope to but all right so any is engineering there a judgment yeah do we call this a win i i would say there are symptoms of life out in the stars i wouldn't claim intelligent life no, we yep, agree on that. Agree on that, but I'd say there's there are good signs that there are life out there. JWST has proven its feet, and that's the latest update. Mm-hmm. Okay, then <laughs> taking that as a win. Yeah, I'm <laughs> taking it. This is like half a win because my next one isn't so much a win. But <laughs> we'll go over to one of your predictions. Okay. you had very political predictions, so yeah. I'll let you talk to some of this. And the first one I've got down is you made a prediction that the return of Donald J. Trump would happen and he will return to presidency in at least 2024. Yeah. This one, in my opinion, is still going, but hanging on by a threat. I would say it is still quite likely. Yeah. The, the, I mean, politically speaking, there isn't anyone that can stand up to Trump one-to-one in the Republican Party. And given what's gone on with under Biden, I would say um, Trump would be the... Uh, an alternative to consider yeah and at this point uh, it's 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 a coin flip it's like what shit smells less worse at this point yeah um i did read something a while ago that a few states have like said no like we don't want him we yeah so nevada took him off the caucus i think colorado did as well um for different reasons i think the the nevada one was because they didn't put the paperwork in time which is pretty funny it's a level of incompetence that uh doesn't suggest they should be the uh commander in queef but here we are um but i think i still think it's potentially possible until it depends on the trials and courts but it's legally you can pay your way to anything um this is one of those examples where you can i don't know if they'll get to the end but yeah i mean his his republic like you mentioned uh which shit is worse his republican competition is arguably not worse like that's a big i mean yeah robin DeSantis is all about anti-woke then there was um another person that was all about tech and and AI. So there's a few different alternatives, but none of them have the same power and punch yeah. to the Republican Party as Trump does. Yeah. None of them do. But so that's I think standard. You, you made this prediction because it related to the tech stuff in a sense that if he was to become president, all this progression that we made in mm. prior to 2022 would all go down the drain. Like, yeah, yeah, we would lose investment in climate change technologies. We would uh, invest more in coal and caption. That doesn't really make much sense. We would, the I mean, it's pretty clear Trump would step out of the Ukraine war. Um, yeah. And so there would be huge changes in impacts along the Eastern Front. We probably would be less involved in conflicts in the Middle East, South America. All of that is currently being spearheaded by the US. Um, yeah. That would be a huge change and a lot of reasons, a lot of political reasons that would uh, be involved. So there's, there's a lot to consider. I wouldn't be able to pretend I know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, it's good. This is not a political podcast, so we're not going to nope. ramble on it. So on a very... 
Actually, no, this is kind of political, but not political. Patty's prediction was, was that Patty's? Netflix would lose, I think it was 50% of its revenue. What did he actually write down here? No, 50% of its customers. Now, I think it's fair, actually. I think he got that one. It was a very fair prediction, but it turns out it was actually quite the opposite. In 2023, it actually increased more than what it did in 2022. And I did write this in my notes of the stats mm. that it made that in Q1 of 2022, sorry, 2023, it had 232.5 million. And in Q3 of 2023, it had 247 million. Looking at yeah. the stats. So, so what we haven't even reported the Q4 stats for Netflix no. yet. Um, I mean, if you watch the SAG and like the um, the uh, what was it called the oh it was the protests over the pay dispute by SAG and Afra and um, Netflix refusing to provide their user information. The thing is, right, the Netflix users have gone up because they're restricted to the access to per person. So for you to still continue watching Netflix, you could have had four people in one yeah. license. That's one user yeah. on report. So the users have gone up because they have lost users, but they've also signed up more. So the classification of users has changed. But it's it's a higher rate still because like in 2022, it was 9 million plus. From Q1 to Q3, it's been 15 million. So you're still talking about an additional 6 million people that signed up. Yeah, but if you had one, three people sharing a Netflix user license, yep. Yep, and all of a sudden they say, well, if you want to still use Netflix, one of you who's been paying for it gets it, the other two have to sign up. Yeah. And only one of them signs up. So only two out of three are watching it. So you've mm. dropped a third, but in terms of your license, you've doubled. You've forced people to go and like sign yeah, up. So the thing is though, like I've been, like it hasn't affected me. I'm guilty of this. I use someone mm. else's Netflix account. Yeah, I use my parents too. Why yeah. not? Well, let's, let's be honest. That's the best part of it. Yeah, and it still works. So like while they said they were going to do it, it's been like, if you're going to make that argument, it's a preventative thing, not something that's yeah. been enforced yet. It has been enforced in the US. In the US. Okay, so and that the US is, is like And a you've large got base. 150 million plus users in the US gone. Yeah. That's, that sucks. So one of the things Patty did say, to touch on your point, is that it would, while it, it would dilute the number of subscribers between all the other social yeah. media or streaming services, sorry. So like you get more people going to Disney... More people going to Amazon Prime yep. and Stan and all. Actually, I know there was an Amazon Prime potential scandal that sounds like familiar in my head, like something happened with the streaming service. I didn't read into this, but the point being is the other services did have some good stuff come out. And I remember you actually said in the podcast last year that you have you still have subscriptions to all those services, mm. not your own subscriptions, but you use all four of them because there's different things. Like you think of Disney, you've got the whole Pixar range and the um, Star Wars, for example. I mean, the entire Disney collection itself is huge. Marvel, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's like, well, your Star Wars, your, your standard Marvel, your Lego. Oh, no, not Lego, sorry. <laughs> um, but your standard Disney princesses. Um, and then Stan, like Stan and Netflix are sort of toe-to-toe. They yeah, both have their specials. Amazon, yeah, you have like binge. your Lord of the Ringses and... Stuff. Yeah, so, the, the boys and then a few specific shows. And like nowadays trying to manage it, it's so painful. Like trying to get like, oh, I want to watch this specific show. You need this specific service. Oh, what about that movie? Not on this one anymore. It's moved over to another one. It's like painful. Like yeah. these licenses and uh And I wish I had our movie star here to, to touch on this. Because yes. arguably not as passionate about it as, as he is. He is definitely a cinephile, um, which means a lover of film, just to clarify. Not yeah. a, a lover of film, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, Let's go into my second prediction that I mm-hmm. got wrong, was that <laughs> Neuralink would have its first clinical trial underway. Now, I didn't get this. However, yeah. in September of 2023, they announced the approval to get a clinical trial underway. So mm. I will not claim this as a win. But what I found very exciting about it is it's a very interesting study of how they... Let me, let me go into the acronym. It's called the PRIME study. And what it's going to be is putting a robot implant into the brain. And that brain part of the brain is what controls like motion inputs, like uh, intention, for example. So part of the requirements to do the study is you have to, I believe, be diagnosed either over a year with ALS or be a paraplegic. Mm. So no idea how function, functionally it works, but it's uh, very exciting. I'm keen to see that one underway because a chip in your brain, that's like a, everyone's Hollywood like Hollywood dream you see in a movie. Oh, let me put a chip in your brain that helps. That you. can control, that can interface with everything and anything that you want it to. You can, you can ask the questions without any thought. You could be like, hmm, I wonder how tall. Oh, it's 443.7 meters tall. 
Yeah. Like you could just find out the names of things without thinking about it. Terrifying, but it would be something you can't cut switch off. Yeah. It's scary. I mean, who knows about the knowledge side of it? That's like a, that's very sci-fi still. But when I hear in the study brief how it's for motion intention, so the part of your brain that says, I want to move my hand up to here. Mm. I didn't even know there was a specific part of your brain that talked to the part which controls motion that says, hey, move your hand yeah. up this high. Like the fact that they can get something so specific to do that is just blows my mind. Completely. Well, I feel like you could do that to then recreate cr- motion and other things. So you could move robotics. Imagine being able to look at a crane going, this crane needs to move a bit to the three <laughs> degrees and it would just move because you've told it to. Because the same thing to move your hand would have been crane slightly moved to the rotation. That oh. would work eventually. And you would have such an understanding that you could do it with your eyes closed. Why does that sound like a dystopia? Dystopia, utopia, one man's trash and another man's treasure. <laughs> yeah. Um, what isn't another man's treasure was the next prediction, which was... Mine? Yeah. What was mine? Was it a space flight? No. <sighs> no. Very sad. You predicted the war in the Ukraine would be over. Done. That's a bit... Yeah. I mean, there was a period where that was possibly likely, but then just like environmental factors just grounded to a halt right now it's an absolute standstill no one knows when it's going to end yeah i i I don't even know if we have time to provide an update on what's happening over there like yeah it's uh probably gonna see a a version three of that podcast this year like an update yeah possibly it would be i mean that's more politically motivated at this point less technology so yeah the technology technological stuff was big last year with the different takes and weapons they were using um, yeah and even flight I would say that the one thing that's going to come out of the Ukraine and uh, Russian conflict that will stay forever is drone conflict. The idea of low-cost drones have just dominated the battlefield in terms of dropping bomb surveillance, managing um, drone and then counter-drone capabilities, uh, everything. Well, it makes sense, right? Because you have to worry less about something going wrong with the flight itself. Like with Mm. an aircraft, if the plane crashes, well... Not only have you lost a plane, but a hundred million dollar piece of hardware gone. Yeah, and you've killed someone. Whereas now, there's someone who controls the plane from sorry, controls the drone from effectively anywhere in the country. Probably like using VR or whatever. Mm. And if the drone, if someone shoots the drone, they're just like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, log me into the next drone. Well, actually, that was uh, I'll I'll be super brief on this, but there was an Australian company that made drones that were flat pack out of cardboard. So you would have a drone control you have a motor you would send it as like a, a four like a maybe a two three centimeter flat pack you would send it to ukraine ukraine would then pop out all the pieces or organize this drone and they would use it for surveillance it'd have a camera to have a motor a controller and then ukraine's went these are really good and very disposable so they put four kilos of c4 inside and took out two bombers of the russians so this 150 dollar drone was able to knock out a 100 million dollar bit of aircraft from like 200 kilometers away oh man that's like what a cost to, to value ratio right there that's incredible but not just that that's like call of duty stuff right there like yeah out of cardboard yeah literally it's five minute craft bomb <laughs> it's just like, it's like, like five minute craft yeah, your expensive bomb. thing is the controller like that's and yeah, that's yeah. not even that expensive yeah like you know you, you keep the controller it's just the receiver that you wipe out the motor and receiver what does that cost yeah, uh, that's definitely a watch this space item. But yeah. um, I've, look, I've been doing enough talking. What is your first prediction for 2024? So there's a few that I want to talk about, but there's one that's generating a bit of heat. Have you excused the pun? It is the idea of fusion reaction. Now, are you aware of what a fusion reaction is? Yes. Yes. So explain the difference between a fission and a fusion reaction. Uh, fission is splitting an atom, fusion is combining two atoms. Correct. So fission is what we knew for the nuclear bomb. And the standard understanding of nuclear reactors is getting highly reactive radiation of radioactive material, um, having it split, creating this uh, like a domino effect of cascading neutrons, firing to other atoms, create more neutrons, blah, blah, blah. blah. Which releases a lot of energy in the process, right? Yeah. So it can take out a city or it can create heat that you use to make a generator turn. Um, And that's the standard understanding of nuclear physics. Now, the one that we talk about that's upcoming is fusion. Still is a type of nuclear energy to a degree, but it's very different. It's the one that is in the the star. So currently our our Helios, our sun, our... um, It's uh, a big fusion reactor in the sky, right? It's fusing hydrogen to form helium and... 
and producing so, a lot of heat in the process. Exactly. Yeah. And you, you, you imagine how hot the sun is at close range, how intense that is, the gravity, it's everything that gives us life. That reaction we're trying to replicate at a small scale yeah. on the surface of the planet. If you get too hot, you could wipe out a city as well. So it's not ideal, which is why there's a lot of um, hubbub around what a fusion will be, but we're seeing fusion reactors start to come into play. In last year, they had a nuclear reactor where a fusion reactor, very small scale, that was given three mega, a one megajoule and produced three megajoules of power. And like to scale, can you like talk about how big that is? Yeah, so the that is actually a very small amount. Megajoule sounds like a lot. It's like zero point zero zero two megawatt hours. So yeah. about if you ran your toaster. For well, about, you, it times up by a thousand, it's two kilowatt hours. No, it's 0.2 kilowatt hours. So if you ran your yeah, toaster right, right. for six minutes, that energy into that toaster is what was created at this lab. Hmm. So it's a very small amount, like the a megajoule extra. But you have these, to start small though. Yeah, yeah, but that's the thing, right? So they gave it a megajoule. It gave out like two, three megajoules. So it's right. you give it. It's providing more power than it was inputted. And one of the best parts of fusion reaction is fission is large, heavy elements splitting down. Fusion is small elements split, uh, fusing together, creating elements. So yeah. you can use uh, low energy stuff. So carbons and uh, beryllium's, like low atomic number materials can go into it. UNSW is currently building a nuclear fusion reactor. It's supposed to open this year, and they're called Tomacac devices. Now, these things are tiny. This is the same one that was um, similar design. So it's a torus shape. For those who don't know what a torus shape is, it's a donut. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a donut. It's about a meter by a meter by a meter. So it's eh, fairly small, but it handles 2 million degrees Celsius. Is that so? Is the reason it handles so much because of the torus design? I wouldn't think. No, the so. torus design is because it has to have a magnetic field that can contain that reaction, yep. but it has to reach two million degrees. So, what's the cooling two, system sorry. like for that? Uh, the really is. I don't know sure if there is one. Uh, the idea is you're trying to get the surface of the sun in your office, in your pocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Effectively, you're putting like in a nuclear bomb in your pocket. So it's pretty intense kind of stuff. I think it's two. Two million degrees Celsius. And did they it actually might be harder. Two hundred. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't got the exact facts here on me. But it's small design being developed at UNSW. I'm going to say that we will see the first nuclear fusion reactor reach one megawatt hour. Now oh, okay. a megawatt sometime this year, even as a small test. So, so pretty much what you're saying is that one megajoule. So you said they produce two megajoules, but that one megajoule they produce has to last for one hour at least. Yeah, so the, the megajoule that was provided, megajoule is an energy, so is megawatt hour, um, but it's about 3,600 megajoules to one megawatt hour. Mm -hmm. So I'm expecting an exponential increase of an output of a single fusion Sorry, yeah, reactor. that was off. Sorry, I thought you meant one megawatt. So one megajoule of energy, yeah. Yeah, is... one there's 3,600 megajoules for a megawatt hour. So I'm saying that we will see a very large increase of an output of a single fusion reactor somewhere around the world. Not enough to solve the world's crisis. Just to clarify, fusion is not going to be solving climate change, but it will be a huge step forward once we become a multi-planetary species. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be like the main, I reckon one of the main ways we produce energy yeah. for on the planet and then for like transportation, Even potentially hydrogen. If you could make an electric jet engine or electric space engine, which could then create atoms that, like high photons that fire out, like an ion engine. Yeah. A fusion generator is the only way you can do it. But then, how do you harness the energy with a fusion reactor? Like, so fusion it's super hot. The same way you would capture like heat in outer space. It's yeah, just high temperature. You could potentially turn that into. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, this the con conservative or the uh, uh, the standard understanding would be you use the heat to create steam and then rah rah rah. That's yeah. pretty basic. Um, there's got to be another way they do it, but I'm not too sure. Couldn't tell you, tell you. But that's my prediction. Fusion power will see a huge jump forward at incredibly high cost, yeah. but it would do it. That's my projection. I don't think I know enough to back you or not to back you here. We'll see. Because you used to be against nuclear when I... This is uh, not nuclear. So when I, if I fought... Uh, if someone came up to me in the street and said, I like nuclear, I'd say... Uh, it's quite likely you don't know what you're talking about. If I yeah. talk to a scientist who says fusion reactions are the future, I'm saying that's a much more engaging conversation because they know what they're talking about. Sure, okay. The nuclear today is seen as like oh, a savior. It's a pariah. It's the worst thing ever in today's climate. That's fission. That's so, why I made a, a very specific yeah. definition between fission and fusion. Fusion 
is a technology that will effectively reach us in the 2060s. Okay. So your argument between fusion and fission has always been two separate topics as a whole. F- yeah, fission reactions came from the fucking 20, uh, 1950s, man. It's leave it back there. Yeah. Let's, we've got better technology and cheaper technology now. Don't, don't go backwards. Yeah, don't. I mean, like, it's not one of those things where you look at it and go, oh, we've left it for so long. Why isn't anyone doing anything? It's something of like... There's a reason we stepped away. We've got better, yeah. you know, ways to spend our money. But anyway, I like it and I'm keen to see what mm-hmm. the results are uh, this time in 2025. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my prediction. So what I've done is I've started with sort of very loose end predictions that I don't... There's no data to sort of back it up, but things that I'm guessing based on the status quo... And as we go from prediction one to prediction three, it gets mm-hmm. a bit more specific in terms of why I think that. Okay. So my first prediction, which is the most open end, is I believe that 30 to 40% of the graphics design industry will be overtaken by AI, but stay with me, not jobs. So I, don't, I think you will lose the role of what a graphic designer does now, but that mm-hmm. will inherently be replaced by a new graphic designer's job. So that job might be using the AI to optimize what they're doing in, in the field. Um, and the reason I think that is because what, when I think of graphics design, I think a customer comes to you and they say, I want a specific logo, I want a specific yeah. picture to look like this. And you do it and they go, look, good work, but I want you to change this to this. The good thing with AI is you can feed it an input and say, hey, change this to that um, mm. and do it iterative, iteratively. Yeah, at any time of the day, at any t- like at any speed as well. There's no wait time. It's just instant creation. Yeah. But the thing is with most like um, AIs you use now, it's like Dali and Midjourney, for example, which is Dali's through ChatGPT and Midjourney, I believe, through Discord. Um, they have a lot of privacy policies. So you could say, hey, generate something to do with, I don't know, Star Trek or Star Wars. And really go, sorry, I can't do that because I don't know mm. the IP to that. But what if Disney and Pixar and Marvel and all those like branches had their own closed sourced AI where what they could do now is produce comics and other things to go, well, let's produce a new set of graphics, but let's optimize it. So rather than spending months and months on end of someone drawing it and getting it yeah. right, Let's just get AI to do it and get it better. You yeah. see where I'm going with it? Like, Yeah, okay. I mean, speaking on that, there was a film that was... A trailer was released for a fake AI film that was marketed as a Pixar film and people the didn't... Harry, the Harry Potter Pixar thing. No, no, not that. There was another film where um, someone made it look like a Pixar film, but it was completely AI generated. Okay. And no one... It was like a trailer for it and it had the same notes and high tops Um and everyone was like, wow, when's this movie coming out? He goes, no, this is just a yeah. fake ad. I think someone, a similar guy did the exact same thing. It was like, oh, Pixar are taking over Harry Potter and doing their own Pixar film. Oh, and that was right. They put it on their TikTok and it got all these likes and he was just like, no, and here's a tutorial of how I did it. Similarly on social media, I don't know if you've seen it, but someone's doing like their own Simpsons comic um, where they're going, okay, uh, Ned Flanders has taken Bart away. And I'm going to flash this up on the screen right now, actually. Um, this TikToker here is showing like how Ned Flanders... So Marge cheats on Homer with Ned Flanders. Ned then kidnaps Bart and Ned's part of some secret society. <laughs> and now Homer is going after um, Ned and like retaliating. So it's like he's created a whole comic series, captivated so many viewers and has his own Patreon where he's like, I'm doing early releases. So not just in these sort of um, these massive companies, mm. but also like in the whole realm of comics now. We might even see a shift in what people like and don't like because you don't need to be good at drawing anymore you just no. need to have an idea you need to have the money to spend on the software you need to know how to code and what yeah so i feel like you're right in the sense that the the number of like jobs of graphics designers won't really change but the role of a graphic designer is materially different yeah yeah and i think like you can relate it so this is a good example that i thought of this is in in the 20th century when we did drafting for example Drafting was done around a large table. You would have people with their protractors, with their mm. like, um, with their pens, with their compasses and whatnot, and you would have about five drafters to one drawing on a massive table, probably three times the size of this one. Yeah. And they're leaning over trying to draw the stuff. Yeah. As soon as CAD came out, the need for that stopped. So yeah. like, you know, I see in the industry that you only need like one or two drafters to one project, for example, yeah. doing all of the design drawings for things. In some respects, this is similar. This is similar where you're increasing the technical competency of yeah. technology. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think the the way I would describe it is AI is just a tool. It's just a very sharp blade. It's it's sharper than what we've had before. So you can cut to 
the core a lot faster. Yeah. It's a much better axe. It's like getting a chainsaw when you've been using axes your entire life. You get a lot more done. You get the same work done, but you do it faster. You do it better. Yeah. And I mean, are people going to use that chainsaw to chop more heads off or cut trees down? I don't know. Like you'd hope it's the latter. It's a tool. It's in. It's it's purely in the hands of the user. In the context of graphic design, I mean, people using it <laughs> yeah. for the worst. Like, I mean, they to make ha- images yeah. that shouldn't be made. And I mean, deep fake IDs and copyright claims yeah. are a huge fight because there's nothing you can do to stop an AI from accidentally creating another deep fake out of nowhere. And Instagram models have known for their image and likeness to be used without things. I think even since Harrison Ford said, I'll die, but I'll, my body will still make images because AI have... The, the company that runs um, the... Uh, what was the film with Harrison Ford where he's like wearing a hat and cowboy... Indiana Jones? Yeah, Indiana Jones. They said they have the right to his AI likeness. That's fucked. So they can make <sighs> a million more films and he's dead gone in the, in the ground. Anyways, it's a bit of a weird one. Graphic design. Interesting field to be yeah. in. Yeah, and the reason I say 30 to 40% is because 50% is just too much, right? If you're thinking of, say, 10 million graphic designers, yeah, on the talking conservative about side. 5 million, yeah. no, let's do it on the right side. All right, number two prediction for you, sir. Okay, well, similar to you, I'm getting it probably a bit more specific. Um, the second one is, unfortunately, climate change related. As a renewable engineer, I do keep an ear and eye out for it. You're a big advocate, yeah. I'm an advocate, but, like, not going to lie, man, it's, it's depressing. Like the work I do helps, but and like it's not enough. Um, I see climate change is getting worse, even worse than it already is. And even people who have always like barracked against climate change are starting to go, oh, well, maybe just a few years odd. And I think I was saying to you before the podcast, there was a stat that Australia hit 1.48 yeah. degrees increase yeah which is where our target is 1.5 under by 2050 and we're here already did anyone expect it i mean a lot of people thought it would happen and the ipcc reports were like oh but it's so far away it's not we're already we're so close i think on average we're like 1.2 1.3 australia is pretty bad and that's with a la nina uh, tail as well so that was colder than it should have been so that's terrifying so my projection is so every for the last like i think 12 years there's been consecutive years of being the hottest year on record. I mean, this is not a hot take, <laughs> but 2024 will overtake 2023 as global average higher. As a global average temperature, we will be higher than 2023 in 2024 for the calendar year. So hang on a minute, as at the whole globe will the be- The whole globe. I mean, on a whole globe, 2023 was record high above 2022, which was record high above 2021. I'm saying we're going to be a record high in 2024. So consecutively, we're still going up and up and up, which is what the science suggests what we will do. Uh, okay. If, we, if we're on track to go again, so... So you're, sa- you're saying rather than seeing this like up and down trend, it's just going to be completely up. Yeah, so. I mean, on average, we should be about one point one above the pre-industrial levels we've been like 1.3 1.35 1.4 consecutively i don't yeah. actually know those the numbers but we've been so much higher than we should have been and what we've claimed to have been and we're so far ahead of the projections already it's just quite likely 2024 will have be a record year but again let's see let's see if i eat my words next year you yeah. know i think um, i think this is the first prediction you made that i'm going to disagree with you on we will see i mean it's 50 uh, 50 realistically and i have no data to back up mm. why i don't there's no science that i can pull out to say why i disagree yeah but i'm gonna disagree to be optimistic yeah and i know it's hard to be optimistic with this right it's almost impossible there's mm. no positive outlook but hey i'm just for the, the purpose of the this argument of and there's nothing we could debate on unfortunately <laughs> i would love to have a debate about this but i don't have anything no i think we kind of agree on it more or less but you we're trying to be like it's hope yeah. It's a motive-driven uh, prediction for you. Devil's advocate. Devil's advocate. I um and then on 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 top of those predictions of 2024 being the hottest year on record, I would also put in that uh, there'll be a certain area of Australia. I don't know where, but it'll be deemed uninhabitable this year. Are there already parts of Australia that are uninhabitable? There's certain areas right which are not middle. recommended for. What will happen will be an area that wasn't was considered as okay. This year, they'll say we cannot insure homes in this area due to flooding, due to fire risk, something. Yeah. And then the town is gone. This year, we will lose a town, I'm, I'm guessing. And what will also happen is I'm guessing that we've already seen a rise in villages lost to certain islands in the Pacific, uh, Pacific area. I will say that we will potentially lose 
a large proportion of one island and the UN has to step in and provide funds to this nation, otherwise it'll cease to exist. Potentially yeah. this year. That one's probably a bit bit aggressive, but we'll see a huge humanitarian impact in the Pacific Islands this year due to climate risk. Yeah, okay. Well, let's come back at this one when we do the IPCC podcast yep. of the year. Right. We can do a halfway check of like how close am I? If how- I'm anywhere close, I'm going to be so fucking sad, man. That sucks. Anyways. Yeah. That's Sad, awesome. but then happy you got a prediction, right? Just like that no, little it, bit of that 0.01% of pride of like, hey, at least I guess. It's it. like when you bet so. against your team in sport and they <laughs> lose so badly and you're like, but I made $5. Like, it's yeah, as, a, as a dragon supporter, I don't know how that feels. Yeah, you always bet against the dragons. <sighs> Safe bet, yeah. Okay, okay. Prediction number two, and this isn't dark or light or anything like this. So I think X.com, previously known as Twitter, mm-hmm. Currently sitting at 666 million, oh, 666, the devil number per mm-hmm. month subscribers, um, will surpass Instagram, which is currently sitting at 2 billion a month. So right now, Twitter or X is ranked at 12th. Um, and yeah. I think this year it'll jump up a lot in the ranks and take over Instagram. A fun fact, Facebook is at 3.03 billion um, per month. So you don't think it'll beat Facebook, but it'll... I don't think it'll be Facebook this year, but I think it will be Instagram. And I'm, I'm what's your yeah? What's your reasoning behind this? So I, I call this this is going to sound very cliche, but I call this the Musk effect. Oh, I thought you were going to say it. Ah, oh, okay. And the reason being is I've been you know since we did that space podcast, I've been looking into a lot of like mm-hmm. the history of SpaceX, which got me into the rabbit hole of learning about how Musk reshapes companies and how he takes ideas that are unfavorable or mediocre, mm-hmm. and he applies. I wouldn't even say smarts, but applies a niche to it that makes it so good that you can't avoid. Like you look at the Tesla, for example, Mm -hmm. the whole idea it's so good is because of his contribution to the design reviews. Yeah. SpaceX, the reason the rockets are so good was because of his um, ambition to question standards, question the way Mm -hmm. things are done, question the cost of things. And I think with Twitter or X again, what we saw in 2023 and something I always wanted to see with Twitter was it became a video first platform. Now I haven't used Twitter a lot in the past, but all I could ever see was people just sharing their thoughts of like, oh yeah, did you see the fight with Conor McGregor? I reckon he should have won won by round three. Just, Mm. I don't know, have you you used Twitter much? I used it a little bit, but not to the same extent. It's a good way to keep, it's like fast. It's, I don't think it's a video. I wouldn't say it's primarily a video platform. It's you can just post anything, right? Like, but yeah. it's usually just a, a small script, small script or small discussion. Whereas, yeah. what what he's trying to do is introduce like it to be like a one meets all platform. And he started with the video first, where now you can sort of post long form videos similar to YouTube and supplement that with your script or like your little description of what mm. you're talking about. And the stat they reported was in December alone more than 130 years of content was watched for videos greater than 30 minutes, which is a large number. And I wouldn't have expected that in December alone. But on top of that, they're saying that there's something now called the immersive video, which I don't use X. Like, so maybe I could be wrong as a Mm. Gen Gen Z or millennial who doesn't use X. 100 million subscribers have got into immersive video, which is like a new thing. No social media platform has done it yet. The other thing is, is now incorporating AI. So Grok is like he's own version of ChatGPT, which he's implementing mm. into AI. And then in 2024, he's going to introduce peer-to-peer payments, which I believe WeChat or something similar used. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just I think the sort of Elon effects in conjunction with the stuff he's already done. Yeah, yeah I think, look, think of Instagram, right? Why do you think it's got so many users? You have the ability to post stories. It's a good platform for influencers and models to post their photos and also people to show mm. photos of places to go yeah. in countries. Right. Whereas previously Twitter was just for tweets like, oh, I'm going to share my thoughts on something. And I think in 2024, it's going to become a lot more than just that. It's going to actually change completely. I yeah. think in 2022, the whole point of when he took over was to just get in there and do all that stuff about free speech and stuff that we're not going to yeah. get into and, and all that sort of stuff. But now it's more focusing on pushing in these ideas. I'm like, okay, why aren't we doing what other people are doing better? Mm. I think I, I partially agree with you. Look, I'm not going to pretend to be a, a, a non-Tesla fanboy. I do, have a drive, I do drive a Tesla. I do love that car. I don't associate Elon Musk with the Tesla brand as probably as close as you do. No, I don't uh, either. He wasn't a, a yeah. founder of Tesla. I mean, he was he's definitely the, a driving factor, but I don't think like the, the companies that he's done well with, right? So the boring company was the underground uh, train system that he developed. 
didn't really go that didn't far. Take off. Space, <laughs> SpaceX did take off. Tesla did take off. Um, I don't know if the effect that you're talking about, the Elon effect, will apply to Twitter. I feel like there is a lot of cutting edge that you can apply to it, but social media is social media. It's a highly competitive market. It's not that much of a niche. Yeah. So unless he does bring in something that is really niche and really useful, I mean, there's always something wrong with X. Every year, there's always something. There's like last few weeks, there's been something wrong with this. The number of hate mails increased. Yeah. People that were blocked for like anti-Semitic reasons are allowed back on. Certain people being filtered for their opinions are still back on. Like it's it's not a clean cut system yet. Yeah, so look, there's a lot on, of still to go on. On the social side of it, I'm not gonna touch much on there's a lot to clean up but i'm talking on more on the technical side because he's mm. got he's got experience when you look at what he did with zip2 his first startup and mm. then paypal as well he's he's worked with this sort of technology before but now he's working with it in a gen z driven platform where he's yeah so yeah like i just it's a 50 50 on whether it's going to be right or not but i'm yeah. banking on it I think there'll be improvements, but I wouldn't say that you'll hit your target. Two billion? I don't think you can overtake Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to push. I'm not going to set any minimum. I'm not going to say, okay, at least this. I'm going to be very, what's the word I'm trying to find? Very imperative about this and go, he will hit two billion. Okay. I appreciate the challenge. And we're going to hit this one back next week. Yeah, uh, perfect. Next year. Yeah, cool, awesome. At this point, it's gonna the year's gonna go so fast. Next 2025. I know, last year felt like it was (laughs) like a week long, to be honest. But, um... Yeah, we'll see how um, X, formerly known as Twitter, goes. I mean, the, the fact that we have to keep saying that is annoying. Yeah, well, I mean, he's wanted to name things X for so long. He wanted to name Zip2X. He wanted to name PayPal X, and he never won the battle. Why? <laughs> Why? I don't, I don't know. It's a weird... I really, I really I, I'm not a massive fan of it. It didn't really pass my... Um, uh, market test well everyone thought he's like why are you trying to start a porn site for and he's like no it's not not porn it's just x it's just yeah yeah it's easy to remember it's we'll see how he's going he's gone through a, apparently he's going through a lot at the moment there's a lot of talks of his mental health so let's see how it goes. i'm not fucking surprised at all like, yeah the guy no. has been through the wars i know yeah i know <laughs> yeah wars anyway um but yeah i'll go to, to my next one this will be super super quick so um I love it. Electric vehicles. You like electric vehicles. Electric vehicles are going to be the future. I mean, I don't don't love electric vehicles. I love how they've been developed and beautified. Yeah. If you got an electric vehicle and put it in like a a Mazda 3 and it was like, this is a Mazda 3, but it has a battery, I'd be like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I care about the, like the sustainability impact is not much to begin with. So I'm like, you haven't convinced me. Mm. But the way electric vehicles like Tesla, BYD, MG are looking, oh my God. So yeah, sexy. Yeah, I'm, I do actually really like the look of the new Polestar too. And the new Polestars, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they look very, very good in the Australian roads. But um, my projection is electric vehicles have kind of gone through a bit of a sprint recently. A lot of policy, a lot of government, a lot of companies have pushed for electric vehicles, both at fleet, putting in rebates, and just making them seem as more of an attractive option. Um, what I think will happen is we've hit record sales of EVs. I reckon this year we'll still see record sales, but we're going to yeah. be under projection. And so we've always had access to driving electric vehicles and that experience and any questions that we had can be squashed immediately. My experience that I've seen is people who don't know people with electric vehicles have so much reservations on it. Oh, the range anxiety. I can't plug in in a uh, charge. I live in an apartment, all this stuff. The fire stuff too. The, the fire, fire anxiety's got... I've I, heard a lot about that. It's such year. a weird Depreciation argument. anxiety. Yeah, it's like these weird arguments to make. And if you talk to anyone who has an electric vehicle, they're like, no, all those concerns don't exist. The people that are concerned about it are the people that don't have one. So what I'm thinking is we will see a bit of a slowdown in EV sales. Um, I think there'll still be a lot of EVs on the road. We'll see a record number sold, but probably not the projection that we'll initially see. What we need to see possibly is more policy, more understanding, more. But as more people get electric vehicles, of like my dad with your dad and then with you and then with me, the more people who understand yeah. it, and even your dad's got like four people involved on electric vehicles. It's, it's a domino yeah, effect. Yeah, a domino effect. So we need to get more people. It's like who comes first, chicken or egg? The more people who get electric vehicles, we'll educate more people who don't have electric vehicles and go through. What I'll see is an increase of hybrids and plug-in hybrids in the next few years. I think a lot of people want to move to electric vehicles but just don't know enough and are too scared to make the jump. Which, I'm just going to say this right now, make the goddamn jump. Jumping to electric vehicles is the best decision you've ever made. Just book, so cheap. Book in a test drive, please. All and you bring do. your checkbook. 
Honestly, yeah. that's what your dad says. That, yeah, he's to, told you the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But please, just go try and let your vehicle. If not, find someone let your vehicle. Say, hey, can I borrow for a week? Can we trade vehicles for a week? Two things are going to happen. One, the person's going to give back their, your vehicle and go, God, that sucked. And you're going to buy an electric vehicle. Don't take my word for it. Just go drive it for a week. Figure out how it feels driving for long distances. I know someone who drives from like Cronulla to Wollongong, which is a fairly long drive, every single day, five days a week with an electric vehicle. Yeah. It's fine. It's, it's absolutely fine. Well, I think we did an Instagram post on this. The range anxiety decreased from 2021 to 2022. Um, so a lot of the st- a lot of that anxiety is decreasing, but I think it's going to hit a plateau of where it doesn't decrease any further. Yeah. So I agree that in mm. quarter one and quarter two of 2024, it will drop. I think the back end of 2024, we're going to see a massive rise in it. So I think maybe overall you might be right. Yeah. But the rate of change will spike at the end of the year. Mm. And that's because the technology is getting a lot better. Yeah. Um, I think with the Cybertruck coming out, that twisted people a little bit. They're like, oh, is this where EVs are going? Whatever. There's a mm. whole topic on that. I feel like the Cybertruck is going to be like cyberpunk. It's, it's, it's going to be really hyped up. The launch won't be that great. And then about five months later, it's going to be the best damn thing ever. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. I generally think the Cybertruck, give it, again, the, the roadster was seen as a pariah for EVs. I mean, like Elon Musk even said, the Cybertruck is not good aerodynamically. Like it's not meant to it's be. It's not, but it's designed to be made super quick. It's one piece of metal folded four times and then you build the doors on the side. That's it. It's what like all welded together as well. It's like, cold It's cold steel folded four times. Yeah. Do you know how hard it is to build the frame of a Ford F-150? Like all the little pieces yeah. and welding and spot. It's four, it's one slab of metal folded four times. Yeah. I you mean, can make like one every minute. Just the outside frame. And it's hard to, very hard to damage as well. Like there's a video of Joe Rogan put like shooting a compound bow arrow into the Yeah, I mean a compound bow, which is an aluminium tip versus a one inch of steel. What do you think is going to win, yeah, Joe? But, but, <laughs> but if you do that on a normal car. Oh, straight it through. Because it, yeah. it's plastic. No car. This thing is built like an ant. It's a goddamn exoskeleton. Yeah. It is nothing but outside force as a structural body and then internal like motors. There's no axle. You can drive it over a rock and you can scrape the bottom and you won't blow out the transmission. That's yeah. amazing to me. Anyway. So I think in Australia where where we took the biggest hit was the halt in selling Model S and Model Xs in Australia. And also no more yeah. performances. But that is just Tesla alone. There are more competitors coming into mm-hmm. the game, creating some pretty sexy products, some yeah. pretty nice looking electric vehicles, yeah. which I think is the reason the com- competition together with the technology will push sales in the back end of the year is mm. where I will have my buy-in on your prediction. Yeah. Look, I'll, I'm, I'm talking from a global perspective. In Australia, it's different. I think Australia is really difficult because it's a left-hand, a right-hand drive, left-hand on, on the left-hand side of the yeah, road. But so is the UK. So is China. So when people tell me that... Japan, like, not China. China oh, makes so the cars. Japan... China Is China left-hand drive? They're left-hand drive, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, so we're, there's very. That's why I'm saying that Australia is quite restrictive in terms of what options we have because yeah. they've got to make a very deliberate decision to make the wrong-hand drive, in their opinion. Yeah. Okay. And it's all it is supply and demand. But again, that's just one. That's just two models altogether. Sean's doing a quick Google. He wants to know if China is left-hand or right-hand drive. Uh, and the result is... Right-hand side of the road. Yeah. So, well, they drive on the right-hand, right-hand side, side. So, which means the steering wheel is on the left. Yes. Okay. I, I feel like it's hard to explain that. Yeah, so the, in mainland China, traffic drives on the right-hand side of the road. Um, certain areas drive on the left, such as Hong Kong, Macau, India, Nepal, and Pakistan. Pretty much any place so the English confusing. went. And anywhere the English went, yeah, left-hand side. Okay, stand corrected. <laughs> anyway. Right. We'll circle back to the very last prediction of this podcast and one that's uh, sort of left field. And then I don't know if I back it or not, but it is still a prediction. When I say I don't back it, I don't know if I like it. Mm-hmm. But... I think we will see um, the approval of lab-grown meat in Australia. Ooh, that's an interesting one. I like the idea of, like, the, the principle behind lab-grown meat is very interesting. Do you want to give an explanation of the basic process? Let's, like, elevator pitch. How do you make a lab-grown meat? Okay, lab-grown meat is I'm going to take the cells of animals, I'm going to then culture those cells and use them to grow and then create the meat from cells using printing technology and similar things. 
going to be the exact same as a normal steak without the need for slaughtering a cow. Yeah. Interestingly, the process you've described of getting a sample of the pure, true and uh, like uh, specimen, let's say, mm-hmm. and then growing it in, a, in an environment that would naturally... Um, create a larger version of it is the same way they do lab-grown diamonds. They have a very small diamonds really? as the sample, and that is like the oh, copy this, and then it grows out from there. It uses a high carbon temperature, but it needs something to start it. So a small diamond, very easy to find and procure comparative to the larger ones. Yeah. Um, they use that as a sample and they grow it out from there. So you still have to buy a very small diamond even on lab growns, but. That idea of taking uh, from a cow like a little bit of the the sample, so that the cow could still be alive. You take the, the, a bit of that meat, grow that organically in that process, yeah, to make a full grown steak. Yeah. So I think like the idea of it is, is it's going to be hard to do quickly. It's going to be very expensive. A lot of these things are expensive to begin with, though. So mm. I think they need to be able to speed it up because um, I think right now it's it's quite slow. Yeah. Yeah. I, the idea of growing meat. Organ- an organic product inorganically uh, is, is never quick. Yeah. Hum- like evolution had like, well, 70 billion years to crack this code. Um, they're much better at it for now, but we're catching up. Yeah. So like, well, in the US, for example, this has already been approved. And I believe in Australia, uh, what's the what's the Australian um, company called who regulates this stuff? Potentially the TGA or no, not the TGA. Anyway, get back to that. They're making a decision this year where they want to approve it. Or not. And you reckon they'll go ahead with it? I reckon it'll go ahead, but because maybe not to follow the US, maybe to follow the US. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say we're going to do everything the US does, but there's an argument around plant-based meat, right? Things that are made from soy, wheat, it's so fungi, processed, wheat, man. Rice, like yes, it's approved for use, but when you look at the individual chemicals in it, yeah. it will cause damage if that's all you eat, and like. Like the vegan community will say, no, just like you don't have to eat that, eat something else. But I still yeah. think from the vegan point of view, the lab grown meat won't be completely ethical, right? Like because you, you still, still got a sample out of an animal. You still need to exploit it. Yeah. But I'm not here to talk about the ethics of it. I'm just here mm. to talk about the brilliance in technology because what the CSRA even said, um, let me link the research paper so people can go and check it in their own time, is they said, we have enough food to feed 8 billion people. And not, sorry, and the processes now are enough to feed 8 billion people, mm-hmm. but not 9 billion people. So at 9 billion people, that's what they're predicting by 20, uh, 2050, I believe, something like that. Um, yeah, so it's something that needs to go ahead. Um, yeah. Because factory farming, while it's, it's great that you can use technology to you know, get enough um, uh, plant-based foods and enough animal-based foods, whatever... Mm. It's not enough to feed the whole populate, global population. Yeah, especially at the growth rate that we're currently on. We're, after COVID, we're somewhat exponential again. Um, and yeah, like even I'm playing Starfield and you're in our space, you literally can't have... Like the, the cost to ship a cow into space is ridiculous. Yeah. So they have to synthetically make beef in outer space. Like that's a real thing of synthetic beef, synthetic chicken, synthetic turkey. Like that's a huge thing in the future. And they'll get to the point that probably you know, the only way you can do it I like the idea of lab-grown meat. Not like, sorry, I don't like the idea. I like the process as an alternative. I think it's possibly a good one to go for. Um, My concern is on the cost because anything... It's going to cost a lot to begin with. Like, let's not beat around that. Let's not say it's going to be cheap. I mean, solar panels were $1.90 a watt. They're now 12 cents. So it's a they can be, once you start developing and making commercialized, it can come down. I think Mark Rober made a video on this where a burger he made with lab-grown meat was like like $2,000 because the, the process was so complex and it's done by scientists like making burgers. It's going to be a very high price um, having them as your casual member of frying a burger. Steak, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I, I can see it happening in Australia. What I'm concerned, I guess, about is the political side. So Australia is a huge agri-bowl for the world. We produce three times the amount of food that we consume. Um, one of our big, biggest export is lamb, chicken and beef. Even though like um, the the ratio of lambs to people in New Zealand is higher, Australians have more number of uh, sheep that we export. Really? Yeah. I did not know yeah, this. we have that's like forty million to like twelve million in New Zealand, and we're like one hundred twenty million to twenty or something. Like it's a it's a smaller ratio, but a higher number overall. So we export a lot of yeah. meat. So well, like okay, I agree with you, but mm. there is a lot of like infrastructure needed to export those sheep. Yeah, like you're talking about yeah, plane yeah, yeah. load, like cargo loads of um, livestock. You're talking yes. about a lot of like uh, factory farms required to get that mm. underway. So while 
I do agree on that. There is also a big benefit that political bodies need to see in reduction. Well, I guess my argument would be is you've just said, good point, there's a huge infrastructure in an industry for it already. This would be seen as direct competition. Mm-hmm. And people in those positions of power will say, You're, this decision affects my business and they will spend millions and billions of dollars lobbying the government to not let it go through. Yeah. So there's a chance that the influence may be affected by someone trying to stay rich. Which is pretty fucking standard all, these days. All I'm going to say is this needs a Silicon Valley model. Get a get a very rich venture capital funding in. Could you it? imagine going to a place getting a Macersburg and it's $12,000? Like, effectively, that's what you've got to start with and then work your way down. Work your way back down. Same yeah. with the Roadster model, right? You start super expensive and work your way down. k and go yeah, down. Yeah, down to 30 k Think of it like this, right? Let's, let's be optimistic in a sense. So we're both big 3D printing enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. Imagine if you could get like a uh, stock of... Yeah, beef cells, your chicken cells, and whatnot loaded into your food 3D printer. Oh, like, let's 3D, dude. let's 3D print some chicken breasts. Dude, tonight. Wagyu beef would be like everyone. Yeah. Everyone would get Wagyu beef. Like we would eat like kings. And you could change <laughs> the texture of it if you want. You can like print yeah. it in a specific texture. Not that I know if you can, but let's think of it from the common well, tech point depends, of view. Yeah. Surely you can, right? Actually, as a sample, so it depends on what sample, because they were talking about this. I saw this thing on the difference between US and Australian beef. Australian beef is all a free grain with the US store corn, which is higher fat. So you, Australian steaks, so beef steaks in Australia, the filet, is 15% shorter time, cook time than the US because it's naturally fatty. So you could then not only just have a beef steak, you could have beef steaks from around the world. Because all you need to do is import oh. the sample, right? You could get Japanese Wagyu, you could get American Tennessee um, a ribeye or a, a tomahawk, you could get an Australian style filet. And so you could get not just that sample, but you once you have the sample, you can just grow different meats from around the world. You wouldn't just be landlocked. You know what I'm saying? I, I do. But like when I think of it, if you take a cell, right? Because a lot of the Wagyu cuts and whatnot, it's a, speci- it's, a spe- it's a specific cut of the animal, right? Yeah. Not a, not the processing steps specifically. No, no, so no. So how but, can you... But my idea would be, I'm guessing that the process would then replicate... At a, on a scale, what is that initial sample? If your sample is 30% fattier than another sample, yeah. would the output also be 30% fattier once it's fully grown? And that's my concern. Would you be able to then influence it? I don't think they can because if they could, they would have done it already. They would have not needed the sample because you knew exactly what should go into it. Yeah. You need the sample to start. It's the starting culture. Look, okay, doing... <laughs> yeah, this one's going off the do, hook. Doing, doing a quick sort of zap through chat GPT, they start with oh, a, don't use ChatGPT for research. No, no, articles. I did it. I did it. Bing, I did it through a Bing search. Okay, so fine. it's yeah. done. A, it's done a Bing search. Gives you new references. That's yeah. decent. So it's also talked to culturing the cells in a mm-hmm. bioreactor to get them to start growing and forming the tissues. Mm-hmm. Once you form the tissues, you then mature it, and then that's when you harvest it. So, if there's a way that you can put a processing step in there, that and. Let's use the word processing very carefully. I don't mean adding ingredients, but actual the process of it. Yeah, the, yeah. the actual to get a specific together. texture. Then, then sure. Where I'm gonna get lost is how do you control the amount of fat and protein, and that's 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 what's gonna be interesting. I don't think we even have the smarts to know how yet. There's probably someone in the field who could answer that question mm. for us. But that's effectively what's going to make or break the taste factor. Because originally, I reckon it's going to taste like crap to begin with. It's just a cell that they're culturing and maturing. It's the exact replicate. same DNA. The whole point of like beef is like different cuts have different texture, different depth, different density. Because it's different. It's not the same cut all the way through. A cow is not made of the exact same exactly. molecular structure like all you, the way through. You think of a, a pig, you can get... get pork and bacon and ham mm. and all that sort of stuff if so vegetarian like, this is a very hard podcast to listen i'm to. sorry <laughs> it's hard but if you are a vegetarian because you don't like i don't know imagine a carrot having the exact same texture and feel all the way through the whole point is like it does have differences a cucumber instead of being like the different layers it's just the same uniform it's boring yeah the whole point is a, a variation of flavor and texture my question is then, if you could then, like, you have an idea for a steak, it would be like a standard ribeye of the, the overall shape. It looks like kind of like a Mexico kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if you then can create fat texture and change the, the dynamic and the actual like lattice structure of meat, could you then just be like, I want to have a really big steak and I want, I want it to be in the exact shape of Australia? Yeah, you why not? Gr- like you Honestly, grow it so it looks like an Australian cut, and there's like a bone in the middle. I mean, that's pretty funny. That would be pretty funny, dude. To me. If this gets approved, like we will do an updated podcast on lab 
grown meat mm. only. But what will be amazing is one, what you said, shaping yourself. But two, now I'm not. I'm, I'm going to exclude vegans from this because there still might be ethical concerns. But vegetarians who struggle to get protein or something can now eat this stuff because it's not. They're not eating. I think a, a big thing with a vegetarian diet is they don't like the idea that they're consuming an animal that was slaughtered. Sure, that's yeah. uh, fair enough. If you feel that way, mm. completely respect it. But now if you disassociate that mindset from it, you can now get your proteins back in quite easily. And we're not going to beat around a bush. You can get plant protein quite yeah. easily. It's not hard. It's really through not dairy, hard to get. Through like dairy your, as well. It's, yeah. just harder, it's just harder to in It's source. harder to provide because our society has built... This is how you should eat because we've eaten like Correct. this for 150 years. You can do it a different way, but it just takes more time and effort because we just haven't built the system around that, which is unfortunate. We hey, should have more options there. Humans are very want to get it done now. So yeah, yeah, we're like least cost. We're yeah, the the path of least resistance is where we go with most things in society, which is a bit of a shame sometimes. Yeah. Oh. All right, mate. We're we'll wrapping up there. Year. Yep. See, I'll uh, see how right we are. Slash wrong. <laughs>